Hello and welcome to another Smack Insider podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with Zvi Shriver, CEO of Freitos, and Ezra Gardner, CEO of Gesher One Acquisition Corp. The two entered into a $436 million merger last month. Freitos has created a freight shipping marketplace that works much like a flight booking website, just with much bigger size and weight limits. He talks about why the freight shipping space remains largely undigitized and how the visibility his platform has achieved has spun into financial derivatives and sustainability metrics. Ezra also gets into why Gesher One made sure early in its process that it had enough committed capital for the transaction and what advice he has for other SPAC teams in the current climate. Take a listen. Well, what a time to be involved in supply chain solutions. You know, the needs in this area aren't new, but it seems like the past six months have been particularly challenging for the companies that are your clients. So it's, I mean, setting inside this deal, which we're going to get into certainly, just how crazy has the first half of 2022 been for Fredos? Yeah, it's been an exciting time for the reason that you said that uh, supply chains have been hurting because of the pandemic, because of the war, because of several other factors, uh, weather patterns. Uh, there's a lot of disruptions going on. And so um, it's been a, a good time, actually, ironically, you know, a good time to be a digital platform for international shipping because people need choices. They need flexibility. They need to be able to move quickly. And so um, maybe years ago, it was feasible for people to just have sort of their, their constant supply routes. Uh, but that's not the case anymore. People need to be to need agility, and uh, a digital platform like Freitas is the perfect solution uh, at a time like this. And for you, Ezra, Gesher has been searching specifically in kind of the Israeli technology space since last October when you IPO'd. And there are plenty to choose from there in terms of targets. Is we've seen a raft of SPAC deals in that space over the past two years. But within that ecosystem, was it sort of the acute demand in logistics technology that initially sort of directed you to look at Freitas, or was it some of the things that the Freitas team has already accomplished? Yeah, I mean, that was certainly one of the factors, right? You, when, when you're looking to take a company public through a SPAC, there needs to be a good industrial logic reason for why a company should go public. And in this market, there needs to be an even better reason for now, right? And so certainly that's the case uh, with Freitos. The increased transparency that Freitos is going to have um, will we'll help it uh, expand its already impressive lead um, on both sides, both the, the freight forwarders, which are, you know, purchasing the, the shipping and, and the shippers, the, the, the capacity providers. In many cases, some of them are very large public companies as well. And it's nice to do business with other public companies. So that's a great reason. But beyond that, absolutely. We were looking for an exceptional management team. We were looking for you know, a business vertical that was successfully addressing a large untapped market. We wanted the market leader. And finally, we wanted a company that had really strong predictability, which is important to go public. And that's something that's really a hallmark of Freitos. And then, so just generally speaking, freight logistics is one of the last remaining industries that's largely undigitized. So why is now the right time to basically digitalize the sector? And what took so long for this to happen? Uh, that is a great question, one which I can't fully answer because I've only been in the in the you know freight industry for ten years since I started Freitos, and I don't know why they were hanging around in the decades before that. <laughs> but uh, I do know that it's changing, and and certainly part of the reason is that freight is more complicated. So when you book a flight for a passenger, the passenger walks themselves on the plane. You walk yourself off the plane. You walk yourself through customs at, a, at the destination country, and cargo doesn't do that. So when you want to uh, digitally book a cargo shipment, you need to worry about getting it to the port and and 
teams on the ship or on the plane and off the plane and through customs. So it is a lot more complex. So to some extent, it is natural that it will take longer to digitalize cargo versus passenger travel. Having said that, it is it is really about time. You know, there are not many industries left which which are not digital. And uh, that's what make this, makes this such an exciting opportunity for me and, and for my team and for investors, that this is one of the last, uh, you know, big, big industries which needs to go through a digital revolution. And I'm pleased to say that at last it's happening. And, and it starts from the carriers. It starts from the airlines and, and the ocean liners who finally in the last two to three years have started to create digital connections and get their game up to date with, uh, with the way business is done in the 21st century. And then Freydos has also begun leveraging the wealth of data hosted on the platform to generate new analytical products. So are you able to tell us a bit about those products and how you plan on monetizing them moving forward? Yeah, sure. Our primary business is a booking platform, booking and payment platform uh, for international shipments. But uh, as you said correctly, when you're a booking platform, you have a lot of data. You see what people are paying and what price they're booking at uh, and other data as well. But but the most sort of the data people are most excited about is the uh, price. And the pricing is very volatile. I mean, so we publish indexes like the FBX index for um, containers shipping, the FAX index, Freitas Air index for, for air. And you might be interested that the FBX index for um, container shipping prices is way more volatile than the stock market. And, and that's saying something. We've seen prices go up 10x during COVID and then dropping 50% in the last uh, few months, which is more than even the stock market has dropped. So, so, you, so it's an exciting commodity to, to track. And so we provide uh, this data on FBX and FAX and for two purposes. You know, you asked about monetization, but firstly, it's a it's marketing for us. Data gets picked up on a daily uh, basis by the business press, uh, quoted often in the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times. And so it's important visibility and marketing for us. And in addition, we do monetize it. We do sell subscriptions uh, to our data. And finally, quite recently, the uh, derivatives have started trading for our FBX index. So the, the CME, which is the world's largest derivatives exchange, now has futures for our FBX index. So that's another exciting use of our data and, and eventually a source of uh, revenue for us as well. Yeah, certainly. And moving back more to the kind of the customer facing product side, you mentioned the sort of the differences between how you know one books freight versus how you book a plane ticket. What really struck me when looking at your website is how much your website kind of looks like what anyone would uh, would recognize as being sort of almost like a flight booking website where you have your origin destination, how much stuff you're sending rather than passengers, but you know, and then you get rates. And so it all seems remarkably straightforward or something that's very complex. Is that sort of approach intended to be a better fit for sort of smaller clients and businesses that don't have a whole logistics department or how do you think about that sort of product client fit you're right i mean we make the experience just as simple as you know booking a a flight or a hotel for a passenger behind the scenes or under the hood it's a lot more complex because we're actually pulling multiple uh, data sources and doing doing a whole routing engine to to pull together the entire door-to-door route so there may be dozens of fees that we're getting from different sources to see that price uh, but that that intentionally stays under the hood. The experience for the importer and exporter is just as simple as, as other uh, digital services. And um, I would say yes, it, it's primarily used for spot shipments, not necessarily not necessarily by small importers and exporters. A lot of it is is, is small importers and exporters, but we also attract some big enterprises, not so much for their regular you know sort of weekly shipments, but for anything which is spot or, or unplanned. And we do get some big enterprises using it as well. The SEC is introducing new rules about reporting on carbon footprint for companies. And international shipping is a big emitter of carbon, obviously. And so one of the things we've, been, we've done in recent months at Freitas is to make sure that every time we produce a quote for international shipping, air and ocean, 
as well as the price and the transit time, we also provide a carbon footprint estimate. And that will allow companies to measure the carbon footprint of their supply chains, potentially reduce the carbon footprint, and allow them to be compliant with the regulations, both the, the SEC and also uh, regulations in Europe, which require companies to, to track their carbon footprint. Interesting. And, and on kind of the supply side, transparency has been a, a major problem in this space for a long time. And it seems like a lot of the shipping players see it as an advantage to keep their availability and their rates close to the vest. So how has Fredos been able to convince more of the marketplace to show their cards on your platform? Yeah, that's a great question. There is some hesitancy about uh, transparency in this industry. But on the other hand, you know, the shipping lines want to fill their ships and the airlines want to fill their planes. And the freight for- most transactions go through a freight forwarder, which is like a complicated sort of travel agent for-, for goods. They want the revenues. So in the end, I think, while there's some hesitation about transparency, in the end, people understand that by putting their price out there and, and their offering out there, they get more orders and more revenue. And in the end, common sense wins out. The sort of secrecy uh, gives way to the fact that transparency brings uh, brings bookings. And then although the industry has been somewhat slow to adapt, you're not the only technology player trying to bring it up to speed. So how does Fredo stand out from other freight marketplaces? Yeah, so I think we're leaders in the marketplace model. So we're a pure platform. We're not a sales or service provider. There are other um, so digital players who play an important role, but in a different way, uh, you, you know, have come across Flexport, uh, who um, are very much also a digital player, but they are a service provider. So they take responsibility for shipping the goods. They are a, a freight forwarder. And we remain uh, vendor neutral. So we are never a service provider. We're never ourselves actually taking responsibility for the goods. So for, for a shipper who's looking for a neutral platform, which will allow them to see all of the offerings and book the best, cheapest, uh, quickest service, I think Freitas is in a fairly unique uh, position. Uh, any competitors are really much smaller, where I believe the by far the leading neutral platform for comparing and booking ocean and air shipments. Got it. And then in terms of operations, it looks like Freitas plans to focus its efforts on growth over pure profitability in the near term. But what do you think about the balance between R&D needs and business returns? And what are the margins that you're most focused on improving? So we're definitely, in the short term, as you said, focused on growth ahead of profit. Having said that, we, we do take a, a responsible approach of capping our, our investments. So we're burning up to about um, $2 million a month, which is, I think, a very appropriate uh, investment at this stage to make sure that we keep growing because the opportunity is so huge. So just to be clear, we're not one of these marketplaces that, that's burning you know, billions of dollars to, uh, to grow. <laughs> uh, we're burning millions of dollars to grow. And even that, of course, will, will be trending down as we, as we grow and, and become more profitable. But this is a a very, very large industry and a very big opportunity. So we think it's important that we invest in research and development, invest in sales and marketing, keep the growth, you know, up there, you know, in the three digits, the, the growth of our gross booking value, you know, three digits sort of percentages, and we want to keep it there. And uh, we will naturally, as we grow, we will naturally then uh, generate more revenue and become profitable, presumably within three years or so. R&D is a big part of your spending moving forward. You already mentioned how you're uh, approaching that strategically, but on the technology side, just sort of in general, what is the innovation or the new technology that you're most excited about in your space? I think there are several. Uh, one is the automatic routing. So it used to be in our space that people always you know, thought, okay, if I'm, if I'm in Manhattan, I use JFK Airport, or I'm in London, I use Heathrow. And so, so people had these sort of static routes in mind. But, but in today's dynamic world, the, the most obvious airport is not always the best, or the most obvious seaport is not, not always the best. 
So, um, you know, I'm very excited about our, our routing engine, which is patent pending, which, which actually in real time looks at all the possibilities through all the ports and really finds the optimal route on any given day. And so I think that's an important innovation, just to how you think about freight and not thinking about it with you know, sort of static routes, but, but really optimizing uh, every single shipment. Another area which is uh, very important for us is payments. So you'd be surprised how old fashioned uh, the, the payment system is. A lot of, in the US, a lot of paper checks still being sent around in mm -hmm. our industry. Um, and so we're working very hard to create modern uh, payment solutions so that every time you book digitally, you're booking and paying. Uh, digitally. Um, so that's another important area. And then, of course, we, you mentioned before, you know, our data, and that's an important area, just taking all the data we have in the industry and, and using that um, as an important uh, you know, source of information for the industry and a way of optimizing further shipments. Great. And moving over to the SPAC side of it, Ezra, you know, it's been a, a rough first half for, for SPACs, but also for everything else. But uh, one way or the other, I noticed that Gesher took the somewhat unusual step of lining up backstop agreements and, and, uh, and tweaking your forward purchase agreements before announcing this combination. So why did you decide to jump out on those changes early and how do you think it'll benefit the deal? Yeah, so I think there are a few things that a SPAC sponsor team should do if they're going to be a good sponsor team. Um, and one of them is provide capital. Um, if you can't provide the capital, you're really asking for an economic promote without giving the economics that the company needs for its business model. The second thing, of course, is you know to be a good partner and help a company be public and bring experience to public markets. But you know, myself and my partners, you know, have decades of experience in both the public and private markets and decades of relationships with partners that were happy to provide us committed capital even before a transaction was announced. And why that was very important is because that made it clear to the marketplace that we would be the best SPAC sponsor team, and therefore we would get the very best target. And uh, I think that that very much um, proved out on both sides, and we're, we're very excited about it. Great. And I do think there are some people that, that think that all these SPAC deals are the same, but we always like to point out you know, the important differences here, which is another thing that, that's very different from uh, this deal than most of the other ones that we see is that your lockups are much longer than your average SPAC deal. And you also have SPAC involvement on the post-transaction board. So just what can you tell me about how the incentives of your two teams are aligned and, and how you see your relationship moving forward? Yeah, so some of the new structures that have been created in SPAC to try and deal with the redemption problems have really been akin to some sort of green mail or bribery where you're paying people to stay in and you know, you're giving away your shares. That is not at all what we did. We got committed capital from platinum name investment firms and strategic firms that were willing to lock up for a very long time because they believe in the long-term vision, as was myself and all of my partners and my sponsor team, because we believe in the vision, as was C and his management team. All the significant shareholders that has agreed to a multi-year lockup, which I think shows people how much aligned all the different players are here, which I know has been a criticism and probably rightfully so. And, and I think that we really are doing this differently. I'm a big believer in the fact that if you want a differentiated outcome, you have to do things differently. And we did everything differently about this SPAC transaction from the very day that we went public to, you know, how we found a partner, how we presented ourselves as partners, you know, how we're going to remain partners long after the deal closes. Got it. And then first fee, what made you ultimately decide that now was the right time for Freydos to go public? And why did you opt for a SPAC deal rather than alternatives, including listing in Israel? I think Fedos has reached the stage where uh, it's got scale and it's got growth. And as Ezra said uh, correctly, it's got predictable growth. You know, we have a very clear model for how we grow, which we're hitting every quarter for, for more than two years. So 
we've got to the point where, where we've got predictable growth and we've got a, an industry that needs us and needs us to go public so that we can scale. You know, we discussed earlier the issues with the supply chain and how Freitas provides a, a solution to some of the, the fundamental problems in the world supply chains um, around the flexibility of, of shipping, etc. So it seems like the right time for Freitas to go public in order that we can uh, scale more, potentially make more acquisitions. We've, we've made four successful acquisitions while we were private, but that will become easier when we're, when we're public and have a currency. So I, I think it's a great time for us to uh, go public, despite the markets being uh, soft. I think that, like you said before, there are SPACs and there are SPACs. And, and I think when you can get a SPAC of the quality of uh, Gesher 1, which comes with committed capital, you know, from top investors, as Ezra said, and I absolutely agree with that. And these are investors who spent time getting to know Freitas. They're not looking for some quick turnaround. You know, they came to Israel, they met our teams elsewhere, both Ezra and some of the, the investors who are committing $80 million in capital. So when you can get a, a team of that quality and capital of that quality and, and lockup agreements, it's actually much preferable to a traditional IPO. I think we have a lot more knowledge of what investors were getting around the table, a lot more confidence that they're going to be around for the long term than we would have if we, if we went the traditional IPO route. And then basically, if everything goes to plan, Freitos expects to add around $65 million to its balance sheet through this deal. So how do you plan to put that capital to work? Yeah, we'll be putting that capital to, to work for, for growth, you know, so, and, and that means primarily research and development uh, and sales and marketing. And we certainly, none of that is going to go into our operations. We, we have a, a healthy gross profit margin already. So our operations are generating cash, but we do want to grow faster. Uh, and so all of that money will be going into uh, incremental growth. Yeah, I think I think it's important also to note that um, the amount of, the minimum amount of capital, the $65 million is the minimum amount of capital that we expect to, to, to get from the transaction is well in excess of the company's predicted cash burn. So this is not a company um, like maybe some of the other companies that came public that thought that they'd raise the first piece now and hope that the stock price doubled immediately out of the gate and raised the rest of the capital. This is a fully, fully financed business. And that was one of the very important criteria for my team is that we, we wanted to make sure that they had all the capital they needed with plenty of breathing room. You know, when... Uh, we spoke to some of the, the very best investors in marketplaces around the world. Some of them are actually currently investors in Freitos right now. The way that they look at things is the same way we look at things, is that how capital efficiently can you grow GDV or gross bookings? How quickly can you grow the marketplace? And one of the things that really stood out for us in looking at this business model is that it was off the charts in terms of capital efficiency for GDV growth versus any of the other big names that you know out there like Uber or DoorDash or any of the ones that have come to be worth many, many billions of dollars. And ultimately, we think that that, that will drive a lot of investor interest and, and also uh, valuation. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to touch on is also just the sources of capital matters as well, and that you do have some strategic money in here as well with the involvement of Qatar Airways. And also it appears to be, you'll be having a lot of important relationships and, and expertise joining your board following this transaction as well. So can you get into a little bit of that and, and how those ties are going to help moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. So we're already uh, happy to have the CEO of Qatar Cargo on our board. Qatar Airways is the number one cargo carrier in the world. So, so they're the leaders in, in many respects. And uh, it's been great to have them. They've already been uh, strategic investors for, for a year. And now they're you know, doubling down on that and, and becoming uh, bigger investors. We've got FedEx as strategic investors who are just now joining the board, even before the, the deal closes. So, so they're obviously an important partner for us. 
Um, and then we have some really um, top tier financial investors like uh, M&G, which is a, a British fund with close to half a trillion dollars under management. Uh, and then Ezra and his team as well bring a lot of capital market experience, which I think is a fantastic complement to my team. You know, my team's got a lot of experience in technology and logistics, uh, but not a lot of experience with um, public markets. So, so I think it's a great complement. Great. And just also for Ezra, you know, just given the kind of the, the rocky year we've been through, just I'm just interested in, in sort of your point of view of what it has been like just as a as a SPAC team uh, trying to, to work to get a deal together and, and close how, you know, what has been the, the mood like both you've been hearing from from targets and and just and, and also your own investors as, as the market has changed, you know, what would you, I guess, advise to other SPAC teams that are trying to work through all of this? Yeah, I mean, th this is like any other period of volatility in, in markets. You know, the, the wheat gets separated from the chaff, right? And um, if you can present a really professional sponsor team, uh, targets are still interested. What I would say to other sponsor teams out there is you need to deliver the capital. If you can't deliver the capital, then the targets don't need you. But if you can deliver the capital and you can deliver quality capital, you'll actually find um, some incredibly high quality companies and like we found in Freitos. Freitos certainly could have gone to Goldman Sachs of the world or anyone like that and gone public, um, but they preferred to have certainty around who their shareholders were going to be. They preferred to have alignment around the lockups in long term. And if as a sponsor team, you, you can you can present that, then you actually have an opportunity to very much differentiate yourself in this market. Great. And then just lastly, before I let you go, do you have any update in terms of the, the timeline of the transaction at this point? So obviously the transaction is subject to the SEC review, which will be taking place um, in the near term. We hope that uh, it will go quickly and we're prepared for it to take as long as it needs to take. And uh, we will certainly be happy to provide updates uh, to the market on that as we go forward, as we will with um, financial results as well. Because again, I think it's really important that people understand that certain businesses that made predictions in previous back transactions were just throwing numbers out there. We're not doing that. He and his team are not doing that. And we'll be very excited to share um, during this uh, process of review um, some financial performance that I think uh, that the market will appreciate. Now, we're certainly excited to continue to watch that as well. It, it, it's an exciting space. It's obviously a space of acute need for really just basically every industry in, in the world right now. And so it'll be fascinating to see how you guys get this all to close. We'll be excited to watch it. And, and thanks so much, both of you, for being on. Thank you. Thanks for having us.